You are listening to the Academy Revival Podcast. This is Drew, resident of the Montevilla neighborhood right down the street from the theater and huge fan of Academy, here with Doorman. What's up? Well, it's a dark and stormy night in Montevilla. Well, actually, it's just a light drizzle, but (laughs) (laughs) it's time to go through our October 23 Revival program. We got eight movies to talk about. So we should jump right in, but I just wanted to say that I'm really proud of this program. It was a great collaboration between a lot of our staff members, and we've uh, got some movies here that are very, very unique, very rare, mixed in with some classics that we you know, have played before and are just really excited to get to share with people again. We've been you know, hyping up October since we st- the October calendar since we started doing this at the beginning of the summer. Um, not that every month isn't awesome and shouldn't be celebrated equally, but October is my favorite time of year for revival film programming because it's horror centric and we're big horror fans. And it's an explosion across the city. Every season has its own different flair to it, you know, and I'm really excited about some of the films that have been announced from other theaters in town. It's really shaping up to be a really memorable October here. All right, so let's get right into it. The first week we have October 6th through 12th with Rosemary's Baby from 1968. There are plots against people, aren't there? Well, there's one against me and my baby. Witches or witchcraft will be forced to take you to a mental hospital. I haven't slipped up. Patches, Dave. He told the doctor to make sure that you got the one that was on his desk. Read what they do, God. They use blood in their rituals. Monsters. You're lying! You're lying! You're lying! Here's the description. Adapted from Ira Levin's best-selling novel, Rosemary's Baby, is the story of a loving young New York City couple, played by Mia Farrow and John Cassavetes, who are expecting their first child. Like most first-time mothers, Rosemary experiences confusion and fear. The tension soars as Rosemary grows increasingly suspicious of her over-friendly elderly neighbors, played by Sidney Blackmer and an Oscar-winning Ruth Gordon. Director Roman Polanski's Hollywood feature debut, this occult-filled nightmare has never been outdone for sheer psychological terror. That's that's the key word. This isn't um, traditional uh, gore horror or slasher horror, the things that would come later. This is psychological dread. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is a subgenre of like pregnancy and, and motherhood horror that that has kind of like permeated the landscape starting with this movie. There's terrible um, TV shows like the latest season of American Horror Story <laughs> that seem yeah. like a complete ripoff of this. And um, I think it's really important to go back and watch this movie if you haven't seen it for a while because so many movies have um, tried to capture the headspace that Mia Farrow's character is in throughout this. And it's the most extreme metaphor for what it must be like um, with all the, the kind of paranoia and fear and, and nervousness that accompanies a normal pregnancy. <laughs> but this is not exactly a normal pregnancy. So like a good horror movie, it's playing on a universal fear or experience, but mm-hmm. adding you know, something occult or supernatural to that. Yep, and it's part of Polanski's apartment trilogy. So uh, Repulsion came before and The Tenant after. Um, and the apartment building that it, it um, is shot in is really awesome and striking. Yep. Um, the exteriors are a real building in New York. I think famously John Lennon passed away while he was living there. Um, and the interiors, I believe, are sets... Um, but it's it's a really a, a beautiful atmosphere that this movie really sucks you into as its mystery unfolds. Um, and we won't spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen the ending, but I think people are pretty familiar with it, and they're going to be revisiting this movie because of its allure. I mean, it, it, it is a very... Um, 
attractive movie in a weird way because of how it how it uh, paints the dread. I think that's really accurate the way that you described it. Um, there's, you know, William Castles, the person who produced it. This is very different than a lot of his uh, traditional 13 Ghosts and a lot of it, um, his other movies. Um, and it really spawned, you know, it was such a big hit that it, it really spawned the whole satanic panic uh, films horror film subgenre uh, with the Exorcist and the Omen being some of the most famous examples. Right. Um, Race with the Devils, another one from the seventies, which I really like. Um, but yeah, there's there's so many wonderful moments littered throughout this movie. Um, yeah, I'm really excited to get to see it on the big screen. Yeah, it'll the performances will jump out at you even more. Um, uh, seeing it with a crowd and seeing the way people are. Reacting to what's become a buzzword or kind of a um, common thing that's called out, the the concept of gaslighting someone, yeah. <laughs> I feel like this movie is also the most extreme prime example of kind of deny some, you know, denying to someone to their face that they are, you know, that their experience is accurate. So there's just... Um, a lot of timeless qualities to this movie. And then, like you mentioned, this period, um, I love kind of the the stylized nature of, like, say, 80s horror. But, and I know you're bigger on the, the 70, 70s cinema in general than uh, than me, but going back to the, the late 60s and all the way through the 70s, I can watch any movie set in, like, a lavish, um, ornate well-decorated building <laughs> and i Absolutely. mean like There's just... some, something very gothic about it yeah and, you know and also juxtaposed with just some really amazing fashion that's going yep. on at the time so it's it's a stunning movie visually Mia Farrow's, Farrow's haircut was a sensation i, th- I think Absolutely. at the time having a short cropped you know and almost she, she's a sensation too i yeah. mean this is her breakout uh, role it, it's it's really amazing and then Obviously, we have a wonderful soundtrack to uh, Christoph Komita, um, bringing this really great European sensibility to it um, with the you know main lullaby theme. Uh, it's it's really a beautiful film, just in a lot of ways. Yep. Um, okay. Well, we're both really excited for that one. Do you want to go into the second half? Yeah. So that is uh, Rosemary's Baby, and that's going to be uh, played alongside of. A 90s slasher, I Know What You Did Last Summer, from 1997. Someone knows. I know what you did last summer. Ooh. What they thought would be a new beginning. Toast to us. Is becoming a dead end. Somebody tried to kill you last night. We have to go to the police. If you wanted me dead, he could have done it. And the mistake they made. It was an accident. There was no accident. It was murder. What if he's still alive? Hey! What are you doing here? is coming back to haunt them. Oh my gosh! He's after me too! I got a letter. I got run over. Here's the description. Jennifer Love Hewitt from TV's Party of Five and Sarah Michelle Gellar from Scream 2 star with Freddie Prince Jr., Ryan Philippe, and Johnny Galecki in this terrifying tale of a body that just won't stay dead. After an accident on a winding road, four... Teens make the fatal mistake of dumping their victim's body into the sea. But exactly one year later, the dead man returns from his watery grave, and he's looking for more than an apology. I know what you did last summer is a pure fright machine that scares the hell out of you. That's a quote from Norman Wilmer at the Toronto Star. Wow. Yeah, I love Norman. Yeah, and... (laughs) That whole thing uh, was taken from the original DVD box that I have in my house, um, so I, I like to I like to use those if if they're good. And I thought that was a pretty good one. Yeah, and did you mention um, the writer? I did um, not. So written by Kevin Williamson, who wrote Scream and Dawson's Creek. So this. Oh my is, goodness! My yeah. first note I have is this is a Dawson's Creek era slasher. Yeah. It, it has that feeling to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is firmly in my wheelhouse, uh, because I grew up on the shows of the WB and the CW and this is right before Buffy, the vampire slayer comes out. But, um, the teen 
cast list, you know, the the cast list in this is just so transportative back to that yeah. that era. It's a who's who from from the time period. Um, can't hardly wait. Also being one of my favorite, like ah, that's such a movies. good one. I'm I can't believe yeah. you brought that up. That's such a good one. Yes. Yeah, so, has, has a great party scene in it. I mean, the whole movie is basically a party scene. Yeah. but that but one, Jennifer Love Hewitt definitely a big crush of yeah, mine totally. growing, growing up and um yeah this movie is um it has the sharpness of the writing and and kevin williamson's like ability to capture stylized teen conversation maybe not going for naturalism so much as entertainment value and kind of um self-awareness meta commentary on the genre at times much less so in this movie than a scream but it is kind of um the characters are aware of movies and aware of pop culture um in a way that that uh, makes them more relatable but then there's something kind of like indelicate and unsophisticated maybe about like the way it's it's shot the, the rest of the filmmaking <laughs> in in a way that doesn't like detract from it for me but mm. it's not like the most artfully made movie it's just kind of feels like very much like a product of that time and that's so nostalgic for me right um and just the kind of the kids you know being too drunk doing something stupid yeah. trying to cover it up and then like trying to solve the mystery of what's happening to them is a formula that that gets me every time yeah it's interesting that it's kind of like this movie in some way it just generates talk of television i mean it's kind of hard to bring up this movie and not think about tv yep. uh and this is sarah michelle geller in 1997 that's the first season of Buffy is right. coming out. That so she's exploding right now. This is like her year. She's taken off. Um, and then Jennifer Love Hewitt. You know, I read that description and it mentions Party of Five. And you know, when I read that, I was like, "Huh, that sounds familiar." But I couldn't <laughs> put my. You know, I I wasn't immediately coming back to it. And then um, if you want to time travel in in thirty seconds put on the Party of Five theme song. I watched every hour of every show that came on the CW, <laughs> but that was maybe a Fox show. It and, was a and Fox show. It may be yeah. like a year or two earlier than yes. I was getting into all these other shows. Totally. And so, no, I, I didn't watch it. I didn't yeah. watch, um, you know, 90210 and, right. and Melrose Place and the like predecessors. Sure. So my formative like teen shows, I missed those and just jumped in straight into the CW. But <laughs> totally. But yeah, I will. I, I bet it would still transport me back like in a in a like an innate way an in intuitive way yeah even though i didn't actually watch it i've been playing it to 90s kids ever since i had that experience just to get their reaction and it's been hilarious and it's just like nanoseconds until they're like oh my god you know it's it's really funny um and you know and but the you know we also have ryan philippe cruel intentions was yep. a really big movie when i was growing up so culturally i feel like I know what you did last summer kind of feels like the sequel to scream. Like it, it, it whenever I think of scream, I'm like, Oh, then the next one is I know what you did last summer. It, it's, it's weird, but it doesn't, it's not related plot wise to no. it. It's just the next year and it's the next slasher. So this is like the nineties wave of slasher in full force um, and doing its own style and its own, you know, play on the genre. Yeah. And I mean, Kevin Williamson, you know, went. He was working with uh, the horror icon and master Wes Craven for for Scream, right? And definitely wanted to do something a little different. Didn't want to just repeat himself with with this. So it is a more straightforward 
slasher in in a lot of ways. It's right. not trying to be as twisty or as is um so as meta as Scream. And I kind of like that. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Met, it, Scream's cool and it has its own thing and it was very significant for its time. But I don't know. I know what you did last summer as its age. It just kind of feels like a a regular 90s movie in some way yeah and then the sequel feels like a complete parody of a movie yeah <laughs> totally if, if it's been a long it. time i've seen yeah. i still know what you did last summer yeah and uh, we, since we mentioned the name of the sequel just the name of the movie is um kind of awesome in, in, in my opinion i know what you did last summer it's a it's a phrase it gets written you know in lipstick or you know something um in on objects in the movie it's kind of like i i don't know i they're like usually like punchy short titles but if you're going to go for a longer title and pull it off um it it can be iconic just for that reason you know memorable just for that reason yeah and freddie prince jr is yeah hilarious (laughs) yeah working with his 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 former or or soon to be wife um uh to be and like just their relationship blossoming here and like you said um the just the star power the teen movie star power on display here is kind of unmatched for for the time and endlessly entertaining yep (laughs) all right so that's i know what you did last summer okay so our second week is uh, October 13th through 19th. Friday to the 13th. Yep, and we are starting with a universal monster classic, The Wolfman from 1941. You wouldn't want to run away with a murderer, would you? Oh, Larry, you're not. You know you're not. I killed Bela. I killed Richardson. If I stay here any longer, you can't tell who'll be next. <laughs> Here's the description. Even a man who is pure in heart and says his prayers by night may become a wolf when the wolfbane blooms and the autumn moon is bright. In 1941, the wolfman introduced the world to a new universal movie monster, and the mythology of the werewolf was redefined forever. Featuring a heartbreaking performance by Lon Chaney Jr. and the groundbreaking makeup by Jack Pierce, this story of a cursed man who transforms into a deadly werewolf when the moon is full, has not only become a masterpiece of the horror genre, but of all time. Wow, so I think it is irresponsible of me to have such a strong relationship with some modern werewolf movies and mythologies you know ginger snaps the howling american werewolf like just those are some decade touch points about a decade apart um each and i i definitely need to go back to this source material and see you know some of the stuff that you said in that description there how it is defining the um the myth the mythology of werewolf characters they will it'll be reinvented and tweaked and and whatnot over time but i really want to it's not that i've never seen this movie as a kid or you know when i was growing up but like a lot of things as i got more into movies and have such a wider um range of references yeah i haven't gone back when it would matter and seen some of the source material and, and that's yeah. that's what's so interesting i think you really hit it on the head there about this movie, which unlike Frankenstein and Dracula, um, which were universal movies that came out, you know, in the decade before, um, they had books that they were based on and uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula really sort of gave birth to the mythology of the vampire that we know today. Uh, Mary Shelley Frankenstein's a little different, you know, I think um, the stage adaptation that happened in the early 20s of her book really sort of became the Frankenstein story that we know today. Um, But the werewolf story 
really came from Kurt Siodmak, the writer here, uh, for The Wolfman in 1941. And it, it gave birth to the mythology we know today. You know, in Bram Stoker's book, Werewolf and Vampire are, you know, a werewolf is almost a part of being a vampire. Uh, the They're not as segregated into different types of monsters until this point, um, which is really interesting. And Kurt Siodmak's a great writer, um, brother of Robert Siodmak, the great noir writer. So he's really going to town here um, in a in a way that he, in a, in a genre film way made by a genre film master. Mm. So, um, but we have really big cast of stars in this. We got Claude Rains, the invisible man. Mm. We got Lon Chaney. We, we watched uh, spider bit. We played spider baby earlier this year. Jack Hill. I really love Lon Chaney in this movie. And then also Bella Lugosi. Dracula is also in it. So it's, that's something that's also not really talked about is that it, all three of these guys are in this movie together. Short movie. It's only 71 minutes. Uh, it, bl- it goes by, but I think what most people probably remember from the Wolfman was, it's iconic for is the foggy sets Hmm. with the trees they're running through it's just a really memorable atmosphere i'm excited to see that aspect of the production and also i feel like um maybe i could be you know proven wrong here but i think the werewolf genre has lended itself to the most some of the most uh, creativity yeah with the transformation effects i mean obviously american werewolf in london is uh you know kind of raised the bar for practical effects and and um kind of transformation human transformation scenes and then yeah just like there's just something so visceral about like the skin giving way and and the the hair forming over over someone's um uh, flesh and it's just like i i really want to see how that's done in this kind of you know source text as well yeah it's really interesting that you mention american werewolf because rick baker you know he's really famous for that transformation scene he's on a lot of the special features for the wolfman and they talk about he talks about his relationship to jack pierce who does the special effects here and in a lot of the other um monster movies from that time and he talked about how jack pierce was old school he's doing from the kit makeup meaning he doesn't do foam rubber and that's what's interesting about the wolfman is there is a rubber nose on him but it was just one note just the snout you know the rest is this really laborious handcrafted thing and i guess it was really sad because jack pierce just kind of got fired from universal after creating all of these monsters frankenstein dracula um just because he would refuse to adapt to the time you know that was quickly changing with foam rubber and and all of these different you know uh makeup strategies um and uh it was it's sad but his legacy lives on and that's another striking thing is just the transformation sequences and um the makeup you know he's a very hairy werewolf in this (laughs) that's so fascinating because people will have a similar debate of you know practical effects from the 80s how they hold up versus the effects this uh the cgi and computer generated effects that'll come later, but even within the practical effects community and, and makeup and, um, that artistry, there was going to, of course, be several innovations and divides with, within that community. So it's not just like computers versus practical. It's different types of practical effects. Absolutely. That people appreciate. And generations, you know, um, and in the music, I also just wanted to point out, we got Hans Salter again, who did The Creature from the Black Lagoon. This is an earlier score by his. Uh, it's always, he, he worked with a couple other composers to make the music for The Wolfman, but it, it's iconic. Um, this is going to be a treat. Um, this is a little bit more family friendly for some older kids. So it's, it, these uh, Universal Monster movies are just always a really fun thing to see at the Academy, especially because 
because we're like a 1948 theater. It just feels kind of right for us to be playing these sort of classics like this. Right. Yeah, there almost could be one for every season. You have the creature from the Black Lagoon for summer and now this one for fall. And yeah, yeah I don't know what the winter. And I don't know <laughs> the when the is. last time we played this one. I mean, we played Invisible Man last year and that was really great and talk about practical effects. Wow. Um, and we got Claude Rains returning here. So that is The Wolfman. Excellent. Okay. And rolling right along, the second movie for October 13th through 19th is totally different. It's Killer Clowns from Outer Space from 1988. Why here? Why now? Why clowns? They've been knocking them dead all over the universe. What are you going to do? Knock my block off? Soon they'll be doing it at a theater near you. Here's the description. When Mike and his girlfriend Debbie warn the local police that a gang of homicidal alien clowns have landed in the nearby area in a spaceship shaped like a circus big top, the cops are naturally skeptical. Before long, however, reports are coming in from other anxious residents detailing similar run-ins with large-shoed assailants. There can no longer be any doubt the killer clowns from outer space are here, and they're out to turn the Earth's population into candy floss. Written and produced by the Chiodo brothers, known for their work on a host of special effects-laden hits such as Team America and the Critters movies, Killer Clowns from Outer Space is a cinematic experience unparalleled in this galaxy. Okay, so good job saying a lot of the description with a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) Circus-topped spaceship and floss turning people into candy colored floss or, or whatever keywords were in there. It is, is ridiculous of a movie as that short description made it sound campy, you know, very much a cult classic and also very much a big transition in terms of what we were just describing the costumes and practical effects and the, yeah, totally. the, the design Absolutely. of the characters in this is so extreme compared to what they were obviously going for uh, 40 plus years earlier in something like Wolfman. So there's nothing being held back. The tone of this movie is, um, is very disconcerting in my opinion. It's like kind of silly, like, like clowns in general and combined with, horrifying like imagery yeah, <laughs> totally <laughs> so i i have like kind of a range of feelings about this movie but we don't really need to say too much because people know what it is and they a lot of people have their mind made up but if you if you don't then this is a great <laughs> opportunity to jump in. <laughs> yeah, and with a crowd. So this is yeah. a crowd movie. If you've seen this movie at home alone, you haven't really seen it, you got to come and watch it with a big group of people to really experience this. And this is a new restoration. It's going to look great on our new projectors. Um, the com- comedic element of it is is pretty unique. They do a really good job. Some of the parts of it are a little more deadpan. You know, it's it's not just uh, super hammy all the time. It's it's a really funny movie, um, and uh, I hadn't seen it since I was you know in, in high school or something, and I totally forgot John Vernon is the cop here, and I'm a big John Vernon fan. Uh, he's in this movie called Chained Heat that I really like. Obviously, Animal House, but anytime John Vernon pokes his head in, I'm you know I'm in you know right. So um, and then the main guy is Grant Kramer, who I didn't know his name, but I totally recommend. He's in uh, Hard Bodies, which is an obscure sort of 
teen sex comedy from the 80s but uh he does a great job in that and if you're a big if you're into killer clowns from outer space you're a big fan of killer clowns i highly recommend watching hard bodies a film that every critic in america has unanimously hailed as a motion picture this is hard bodies the film that will teach you important new words like Hard bodies means perfect little foxes down on the beach. BBD. It's a bigger and better deal. And wuss. Yeah, she said we got a lot more class than an immature boy like you. Oh, man. That wuss. That is great excuse to watch that. And I've been rewatching the Critters movies. I might oh, have yeah, mentioned yeah. this to you. I don't know if we if it made the cut onto the podcast. So the tone of those movies where aliens come from outer space and they mix kind of they have like their own language but the language is like when they talk they say like human uh, they have human reactions to to things so they kind of like humanize the the aliens there is a lot of overlap that i had never really made that that connection and then as those movies go on they get sillier and and sillier um also i'm not at the age anymore when I first saw Critters and it was like just a, a, a scary horror movie when I was six yeah, and, totally. now it's, <laughs> and now I get a lot of the humor. So <laughs> it's interesting to watch like, cause I think parents, some parents, weird parents show killer clowns in movies like that to their kids when they're, they're younger or like people get exposed to these campy movies when they're younger and they might yeah. just find them scary. Totally. <laughs> so it's fun to revisit. Absolutely. Okay, so that's Killer Clowns. Uh, All right, so for our third week, October 20th through 26th, uh, we have Nosferatu the Vampire from 1979. The ship seems burdened with a curse. One sailor and our cook have disappeared without a trace. Nosferatu, the vampire, coming from 20th Century Fox. Here's the description. We are not remaking Nosferatu, Werner Herzog told an interviewer in 1978, but bringing it to new life and new character for a new time. That he certainly did by transforming F.W. Morau's 1929 original into a sexual parable for the late 20th century. Morale's original was out of circulation until the late 60s due to a lawsuit filed by Bram Stoker's widow. This was the second of four films Herzog and Kinski made together during their stormy relationship, surprisingly remains the only one of the four which Kinski never publicly denounced. Still, like virtually every other Herzog production, the shooting of Nosferatu resulted in its own legends. For the climactic scene, for example, Herzog needed 11,000 gray rats. When all he could obtain were white rats, he had them painted. Then, after the scene was finished, he simply released them into the small village where he was shooting. (laughs) The film also represented the first time Herzog had dealt with 20th Century Fox, who demanded that the movie be made in English for a wider American distribution. Given that no one in the cast or crew spoke English, this was a problem. In the end, it was filmed in both German and English. The English version, however, was immediately pulled after audiences found it unintentionally funny. Even though this was Herzog's first foray into quote-unquote popular filmmaking, it remains unmistakably his own, colon, Dracula's raft spins down a river in an echo of a gary. A town ravaged by the plague takes on a circus-like atmosphere. Even Kinski's Dracula, in white makeup, shaved head, and talon-like fingers, like Max Schreck's Count Orlock, works as a kind of demonic Casper Hauser, a strange freak who, deep in his heart, despite his inhuman craving, is looking for love. By both returning to Bram Stoker's novel and recreating scenes from Morale's classic, going so far as to keep the dialogue to a bare minimum to maintain a sense of silence and isolation, Herzog created a stunningly beautiful, 
heartbreakingly tragic film. Interesting. So this, unlike The Wolfman, is um, I'm more familiar with the original 20s Nosferatu than this one. I I haven't seen um, Herzog's uh, interpretation of of the story that's gotten you know retold o- over and over and of course um kind of what we talked about on the orca episode just yeah. the emotional journey that he puts his characters through and the yes. angle that you just described there makes me very fascinated to see his take on such an iconic character and obviously he's going to want to put his own spin on it. And like you said, he's trying to make a commercial film and yet he's going to want to do it in German and he's going to want to do it his way. And he's going to not make very many compromises. His filmmaking, I think more than just about anyone's could be described as uncompromising. Absolutely. (laughs) And I, I, I believe this is the very first time this movie is getting to play at the Academy. I'm a huge fan. I'm really excited. This is a great movie. Um, it might be the most accessible Herzog movie I've ever seen. Uh, it, it's a movie that people can really get into pretty easily, but it's still pretty slow paced. A lot of that slowness, though, is filled with the wonderful soundtrack by Popple the Herzog's house band. Uh, and they are just This is my favorite score of theirs. So I have this CD in my truck. I'm listening to it all the time when I'm driving around. This is is a banger for me. Um, I I really love it. Just like Suspiria, the Germans are just scary, you know, (laughs) and they're taking us deep within Eastern Europe, and that's scary, you know. So it's this is a scary movie. Yeah, the setting, kind of the bleakness, I would imagine, kind of the... Um, the lighting and set design from imagery that I've I've seen. Obviously, like you know, we talked about Buffy. We talked about um, the the just general vampire mythos. Not just Dracula yeah. and Nosferatu has gone in so many different directions. But when you picture like the angular features and the long finger nail, the long fingers with with um, pointy nails and like the teeth. Like the, it's hard to beat the origin, the the disturbing qualities of um, the original, and and I'm sure this Nosferatu just kind of like the ancient vampire um, uh, type that you that you think of versus some of the more modern vampires, which effectively just kind of have fangs. Yeah, <laughs> this is like a whole body um, transformation, or absolutely, or, yeah. So Kinski was born to play this right. role. I mean, <laughs> and I'm a big fan of Christopher Lee and I'm a big fan of Gary Oldman, but this to me is the best Dracula I've ever seen. And I think I'm kind of the opposite where from you is just, I'm not as familiar with the twenties version. I've seen it once, maybe twice a while ago, but I'm going to make it a point to revisit that one before or maybe directly after seeing this version this October. Yeah. So this is going to be my kind of Nosferatu October. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to see that. The other thing that a lot of fans are going to resonate with is Isabel Ajani. Um, she's in Possession. That's become a huge cult hit in the last few years. Also in The Tenant with Polanski. Great the, building movie, yep, yep, as you mentioned. <laughs> yep, The Driver. Yeah, so she's a great actress here, and she this is a great role for her. You know, This is right before Possession. So if you've never seen this movie or you're on the fence, I highly recommend seeing this on the big screen. This is the new restoration from Screen Factory on our new projectors. This is going to look and sound fantastic and be really fun with the group of people. Awesome. Yeah. Um, where, where could you possibly go from here? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, <laughs> back in time to the 60s with 1967's Mad Monster Party. Mad Monster Party. Mad Monster Party. Starring Boris Karloff. And in order of their appearance, Dracula, Frankenstein, the werewolf, the hunchback, the mummy, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and in order of his disappearance, the invisible man. Also starring Phyllis Diller, 
as the hostess with the least. Here's the description. What would you get if Dr. Frankenstein, the world's greatest mad scientist, invited all the classic movie monsters to his haunted castle to appoint an heir? You'd have a mad monster party, of course, and you're invited. <laughs> Woo! Baron von Frankenstein, voiced by the legendary Boris Karloff, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, holds a special convention of the Worldwide Organization of Monsters to discuss his retirement. The guest list includes Count Dracula, the Wolfman, the Mummy, the Invisible Man, the Monster's Mate, played by Phyllis Diller, and the Baron's nerdy human nephew, Felix. It's a mad dash of gags and silly monster songs as the monsters all vie to become Frankenstein's successor as head of the worldwide organization of monsters. Filmed in the revolutionary stop motion of Animagic by Rankin and Bass, creators of the Rudolph and the Red-Nosed Reindeer TV special, Mad Monster Party is presented spectacularly restored for the first time ever from its original 35mm elements. Okay, so <laughs> you um, you were telling me about this movie um, a while back when when you were first considering it, and I think all you said was something like, "Well, you know the the Rankin and Bass movies," and I was just a complete like blank stare back at at you. <laughs> and then it, it just took me a minute to like get a, a foothold on what you were describing, but you but of course I I can picture and and have vivid childhood memories of the Rudolph movie in that style and things that we watched on tv growing up but maybe like a lot of people i had no idea this existed um (laughs) so absolutely i mean it's totally fallen through the cultural cracks and i was really excited to announce it and get a pretty good response from people online so this this movie is amazing and super fun and it it is exactly what i i am promising it is Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer-like animation in the Halloween TV feature-length format. So we're getting the beautiful 60s stop motion with the songs. Um, the, the puppets, the animated puppets, are made by Jack Davis, who was big on Tales of the Crypt, EC Comics. Really great artist here. So this, this movie is hilarious. It's really fun. It's kid-friendly. This is, this is going to be a holiday treat, and hopefully I really encourage people to come out. Hopefully we could make this an academy tradition Um, i've been pushing for this movie for years and years and when umbrella entertainment released their new restoration i was just putting my foot down being like trust me guys let's let's play this movie people are gonna love it it's gonna be a great time yeah it it absolutely could be like the type of movie people watched um uh, the charlie brown pumpkin movie every thanksgiving people watch rudolph and frosty movies every christmas like i think people want that experience for Halloween. I mean, we are going into the stretch of the year where, you know, if you decorate and you kind of get into like seasonal traditions, it's like, it's, it's Halloween, it's Thanksgiving and it's Christmas just back to back to back. And so it's such a fun time of year to have recurring traditions that you look forward to. And of course, you know, we apply that to movies uh, often as much as any anything else. Your description sounds a little bit like it influenced the very popular animated um, trilogy or more of movies, Hotel Transylvania. Yep. It has like the Adam Sandler component, and so it has music, and it's just they were able, because it's animated, they're yep. collecting all the characters. So. And Nightmare Before Christmas. Yep, of course. So uh, it was it's famous uh, that Nightmare Before Christmas was actually advertised as the first stop motion f- uh, feature film and when it was released in 1993, when that was just because everybody forgot about Mad Monster Party in 1967. So this is groundbreaking uh, just in an animation sense, but... For me, what really sticks with me, you know, I think Rankin and Bass is particularly good at making something that's palpable to a wide range of uh, age groups. And so kids get behind this, so do adults. Hmm. Um, And what's really appealing to me, you know, as somebody who's 32, is the music. So I just love the soundtrack, uh, Waxworks 
Waxwork Records put out the soundtrack a few years ago, and I play it all the time at my house. It's it's a holiday favorite. Ethel Ennis is the jazz singer who does the main um, Mad Monster Party theme. Um, I'm going to definitely prod you to insert some clips here yeah. uh, of the music because it's, it's really fun. Did you sell your soul to the devil at that monster party last night? Yeah, it sounds like I mean we could build a, a whole playlist from the calendar <laughs> for the for this month that would be incredible. And Boris Karloff obviously is is the voice of the main guy. I love Boris. Um, he's got a really wonderful, luscious voice. Um, the original Frankenstein, in case anybody doesn't know. Um, and Phyllis Diller, you know, she was a gay icon in the 60s. So I think she could resonate with the whole new generation of people. Um, and she's just got a great personality that comes through these uh, these animated dolls. Excellent. Yeah, that's that's going to be a really fun one to go into basically blind, aside from knowing the style of <laughs> of animation and get exposed to it for the first time. All right. So for the next week... We got October 27th through November 2nd, the week of Halloween. Two movies, very, very different, both beginning with the letter B. <laughs> they have that in common. You're yeah, right. What a coincidence. Uh, so first, we're going to start with an all-time Academy classic, Beetlejuice from 1988. From the director of Pee-wee's Big Adventure. When two ghosts can't talk the living into leaving their house. What's the good of being a ghost if you can't frighten people away? They call the ghost... Beetlejuice! ...with the most... Yeah! Can you be scary? What do you think of this? This is amazing. Michael Keaton... ...is a ghost called Beetlejuice. I'm the ghost with the most, babe. Rated PG. Here's the description. What's a couple of likable ghosts to do when their New England home is overtaken by trendy New Yorkers? Well, they contact the afterlife's freelance bio-exorcist to scare off the family, and everyone gets more than he, she, or it bargained for. And you'll get more, too. More comedy. More scares. Director Tim Burton, who guided Pee-wee Herman in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, rest in peace, now teams with another irrepressible talent, Michael Keaton from Night Shift, Mr. Mom, and Batman. Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, and more join Keaton in this comic nightmare. This is the same year as Killer Clowns, right? Yep. So both capturing a really weird and disturbing characters that I think like kids, like I said, my sister was so scared of this movie. It was not a comedy when she was, um, you know, four years old or whatever when, right. when we watched it. But now as, as adults, it's still Tim Burton's like, um, special blend of yeah. emotional resonance with, with these characters combined with just creepy from like floor to ceiling, um, uh, meticulous set design and meticulous character design it's like full immersion like a wes anderson or any kind of filmmaker who wants yeah. to transport you to their the vision in their head david lynch you know like you are in tim burton's world and beetlejuice is a charismatic disgusting um fun frightening like a uh, roller coaster ride of a character <laughs> yeah the leaps of magnitude from peewee to beetlejuice i mean just stylistically like you're saying i mean this is kind of like blue Velvet. this is like his birth here um in a way that's going to dominate you know for years and film after film of refining this tim burton vision here and so it has a freshness it just it does um that that people really connect with and if you've never seen beetlejuice on the big screen at the academy it's a party every people are time sing oh the, my goodness the banana song. yeah so if you're a kind of person who wants an undisturbed quiet screening um so they can uh sort of 
take in every detail of that, that don't, this is not that you're not going to get that at the Academy. It's going to be a a party and uh, people are going to be partying. You know, it's, it's, it's a really a good time and uh, it brings a really special group of people for Halloween. It's, it's going to be awesome. Um, Things I really like are Winona Ryder, Breakout, Huge Crush. um, And of course, Gina Davis again from League of Her Own, The Fly. Yep. Um, yeah, her her heyday, Winona's, you know, like um, the start of her incredible career, um, not necessarily the, her first movie, but just the start of the ascent. And yeah, I mean, I I'll tell you, I have not had like, um, well, I've never seen it in theaters. I don't know how I was trying to qualify it. I've had good crowd viewings, you know, at, yeah. at people's houses and and just kind of watching it over the years, but I've never had the experience that you're describing. I absolutely, there's not very many movies where I wouldn't want kind of the enhancement of the crowd unless I'm seeing it, you know, for the first time or seeing it for academic reasons or something. So I am really intrigued and, and excited to like feel that energy and, and watch it um, with that uh, new, kind of like purpose if you are a fan of beetlejuice which i know some of you are come this is for you this is all there will be other beetlejuice fans dressed up please dress up please go crazy we will be in there with the smoke detector to make sure things don't go too out of hand but we don't have the uh you know resources to employ bouncers so you know if you really want to do stage diving or crowd surfing there's really no way we can stop you yeah, so there will be know, a conga line yeah absolutely a conga line everyone's gonna sing deo that sounds that sounds amazing um i uh, I don't know how you're going to top it with the final movie of the month. Well, I just want to say that I, this has been a collaborative effort the, picking this program. And I'm really proud of that. I really like to bring, bring different people together. Um, and uh, I had a different movie picked out for October and the whole staff just totally overruled me on this <laughs> one. It was just like Beetlejuice. We're doing it. It's Halloween. It's going down. All right. So that was Beetlejuice. Um, now we've got the deep cut pick for October. All right, so that was Beetlejuice. Now we have the deep cut pick for October. Uh, We have The Boogeyman from 1980. He hurt bad children and did terrible things to their mommies. But you can't kill the Boogeyman. terrifying nightmare of childhood returns the boogeyman here's the description when she was young lacy witnessed by mirror reflection the brutal murder of her stepfather at the hands of her brother willie 20 years later lacy has settled into a comfortable married life with a child of her own on a farm also living with her is her brother willie who has been rendered mute since that terrible evening Things take a turn towards the surreal when Lacey receives a letter from her estranged mother, which takes her back to the home of her youth to confront the past that haunts her. One of the major independent horror blockbusters made in the wake of Halloween, Uli Lamel's The Boogeyman catapulted its director out of the arthouse circuit and solidified him as a master of horror. Starring and co-scripted by Susanna Love, the Devonsville Terror, and featuring Nicholas Love, her brother, from Twin Peaks, alongside B-movie icon John Carradine in the supporting role, the film's grisly murders landed it on the notorious list of video nasties and gave it an even larger cult fan base. All right, you've done it again. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with your deep cut series pick <laughs> firmly in my wheelhouse of early 80s and 80s horror and yet i have not heard of the boogeyman i had heard of madman but this is a, a man movie i'm not familiar with <laughs> um, so I, I i did see a clip of it after you told me about it and the the lighting seems you know almost um italian horror inspired Mm. some of the aesthetics that 
that I love from those movies. Um, some of the effects looked really interesting. Some of the framing and kind of the POV shots, perhaps you know, evoking Halloween. Oh, it's a slasher. Yeah, this is a yeah. <laughs> this is a slasher first and foremost. It's one of the big ones that came out, and it was the same year as Friday the Thirteenth. So it, it just it was just riding on John Carpenter's wave here and making a bunch of money out of an infinitesimally small budget. Yeah, and what, tell me a little bit about its legacy, or is am, am I an outlier? Is this remembered by you know overlooked by most modern horror fans? So or, let me or not? here. Let me tell you. This is something that came to my mind as I was thinking about this movie. Let me just tell you a story of how I came upon Perfect. the Man. So back in 2010, I moved to Portland. Uh, I was living in the Woodstock neighborhood. And uh, we wanted to get some movies, and we heard about this cool video store called Clinton Video. I've been there when it was still there. Yep, Yep. on Clinton Street. So the first time I went in there, um, I was walking around the the, the, the store, and, you know, I had been to several really cool video stores before. Um, but this one really, it stuck, it stuck out to me. I knew I was in a special place and I was trying to get something really unique that I hadn't seen before. Um, and so I went to the horror section and I wasn't as big of a horror fan as I was now, but when I went there, they had on full display, the big box wizard video VHS Mm. release of the boogeyman. And it just totally caught my eye and was just, super amazing and i i immediately took it to the um counter i checked it out along with i think like a target video the uh, some like a uh, music music related move uh tapes um and went home and watched it and i was totally blown away first and foremost by the soundtrack so this kind of set the bar really high and totally got me on a slasher kick from there and i kept trying to find something that was to me as boogeyman as the boogeyman and i could never i'm still looking that's that's exciting and but the thing that i always you know i'm a music guy i'm a a soundtrack lover and i love the ratio here of uh of sight to sound it's very much john carpenter inspired um and in terms of having a lot of soundtrack so it's not just minutes of unending sound but it, it has a heavier soundtrack than most people are used to like um, suspiria as well yep that kind of just constantly setting the mood with sound and punctuating and signaling things in the movie um but it's really coming from so you mentioned an italian sensibility what this movie is really coming from is the german new wave just like herzog so uli uh came from germany after working with faustbender and really you know just like Popova and Nosferatu, he's putting the soundtrack first and foremost. That was a big part of the German new wave is that, you know, we're just going to film this dude on a horse walking through the mountains, but we're going to have an amazing Popova soundtrack going bonkers. And it's awesome. You know, it's, it's just exciting. And so he does, he's doing that, but he, this is kind of the lowbrow punk version of what Herzog is doing. So after he goes and works with Faustbender, he comes to New York and sort of joins Andy Warhol's entourage and starts hanging out in 70s CBGBs with Richard Hell and sort of making his first sort of um, avant-garde, sort of more punk-inspired movies. And after Halloween comes out, he really tries to exploit that into making a breakthrough hit. This is probably because of the combination of personal interests and preferences in movies and not having it on my radar at all. I couldn't be more excited to to have this kind of revelatory experience that you're describing when you just kind of stumble upon something at a video store. Obviously, with the Deep Cut series, you're kind of doing a version of of that curation and um advocation for things that people might not stumble upon other otherwise because unfortunately a lot of stores like clinton street and including clinton street video closed um we're still lucky enough to have movie madness here in portland but um 
I, I, they, I don't think they were even open very long after I moved here, but I did end up in that neighborhood um, That's early great. on. I'm glad you got to go in Yeah, there. and they had a ton of VHS, and they had um, like binders of, of um, titles to look through, and it was, it was a, I could tell too, it was a cool store. Um, and there's, yeah, it's harder to have that experience um, with, you know, everything moving to digital. Obviously, there's great modern um companies that that you've called out that that um reprint and um and fix old uh basically revive old movies and um and they're doing great work but th- this sounds like right up my alley i can't wait to see it hear it and experience it with a crowd And one of the other reasons why I'm playing this movie is just because it has been known, like you said, in a a way through video stores, and that's how I got exposed to it. But because of just the nature of this movie, this is a low-budget movie. This isn't secretly a five-star movie. Some people are going to come out of this and be disappointed. But a lot of that, I think, has to do with the pacing of this movie. So it's paced like a Herzog uh, new wave um, German new wave movie it's it's a little slow with a lot of music but it's very atmospheric and more surreal so this isn't just like a low budget Herzog thing this is almost more Lynchian where he's using hyper realism and stark bright colors um, and so this movie hasn't gotten championed by the previous generation who's raked through the coals this has famously been called Quentin Tarant- by Quentin Tarantino a real kick in the nuts. Huh. So one reason I want to play this movie is to give it a place at the slasher table. Like My Bloody Valentine, like my Friday the 13th, I really think the boogeyman deserves to be seen as one of the awesome OG classics of that genre. And um, it, literally we were unable to do so and book it until just this year when Vinegar Syndrome put out their new restoration. So that's the other really interesting thing that I wanted to note upon with this screening is that we're going to be playing uh, the new 4K DCP of The Boogeyman restored by Vinegar Syndrome. And in addition, we're also going to be having a few screenings on 35 millimeter of a 35 millimeter print that I purchased Uh, last year with no anticipation of being able to screen it publicly because the rights were unavailable okay well that is breaking news um because i think you had teased me uh teased to me a couple times that you had this mystery horror print and didn't say what it was um and so now i'm going to have to see it twice The Boogeyman, he's going to get you, and you, and you. And I want to be clear when I say to people, when we play these 4K DCPs, our projectors are not projecting them in 4K. We do not have 4K projectors. But the scan of the film is a 4K scan. And to me, as somebody who programs and watches movies all the times, I cannot honestly tell a difference between a 4K scan on a 2K projector and a 4K scan on a 4K projector. That source material is really important to controlling what the movie ultimately ends up looking. And right. and that being said, is some of these movies aren't supposed to look super duper duper crisp. So having them on a 4K projector might not even be ideal for some screenings yeah that's if you are sitting two inches away from your uh, oled you know at home tv that you might be able to like recognize the pixel you know uh, density but yeah so i mean the new projectors at the academy um, i've i've noticed like how great the last wave of rep programming has has looked on and the new stuff as well um 
and and yeah absolutely like based on the technology that these films were recorded on in the first place you can only get up to so much sharpness but you can also um correct like aging and different things with a higher quality um print is best i understand it so that's that's really exciting and so we're going to have if you are somebody who wants a really high def experience i highly recommend seeing the restoration but if you're somebody who wants more of a traditional grindhouse experience i highly recommend coming to the 35 millimeter print screenings not just for how the movie looks but for how the movie sounds hearing this synth soundtrack on 35 millimeter is an amazing experience and the the print is good it's it's not in terrible shape it's a little faded um but it feels very authentic this is a real grindhouse print of the boogeyman excellent yeah and this is i mean you mentioned it but this will be playing with beetlejuice halloween week um you know it's a great I don't know what your Halloween traditions are, but I like to watch movies all day in addition to whatever else I'm doing. And um, going to the theater to do that would would be a really cool experience. Yeah, the main character is, uh, main actress is Susanna Love, who's Uli's wife. She's amazing. I really love her. Um, very understated performance and her brother is plays her brother in the movie who people might recognize he's nicholas love um and that's he's from twin peaks yeah i heard you say that i don't know the name yeah so i'm sure i've seen his character i think it's in season two he's in this episode where like james runs away and then he goes with the older woman who's trying to manipulate him into like it's like femme fatale stories but she play, he plays the brother who's like the secret lover of okay. that elderly woman. Okay, yep. She's not even that old <laughs> when I say elderly woman. She's she's not really elderly. She's middle-aged. Compared to a supposed high school student, Absolutely. James. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. exactly. She's older than James. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay, that is the full slate of October films. Uh, anything else you have to say before we close out? I think that wraps everything. Um, We're going to, of course, review several of these movies. Um, Our big Wednesday review episode is yet to come out. Uh, Thanks for everybody for showing support for the podcast. It really um, means a lot. Please come say hi at the theater if you're there. Um, And uh, thanks for supporting the Academy and independent programming. Yeah, you can subscribe to the podcast by searching Academy Revival Podcast on Spotify or apple or any other podcast platform and i will see you at the theater hopefully um i can't i can't wait for this month and everything we have coming have a spooky halloween everyone